Well, we are going to bring our uh, study here in John 8 to a conclusion. It's been a very long discourse that uh, Jesus has been teaching here in the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles, perhaps as far back as uh, verse 14 of chapter 7, uh, depending again how you deal with the top of chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery, those first eight verses up there. A lot of people think it's a real story that happened in the life of Jesus, but perhaps it's inserted in the wrong spot. Uh, um, again, no doubt it's a real real account. But if you go back and uh, you take those uh, first 11 verses out of chapter 8, you have about 86 verses or so uh, of discourse that uh, and discussion by Christ teaching truth there at the temple. So it's a rather long discourse. There again, at the Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, he is... Uh, teaching what God has sent him into the world to teach. And the reaction all along the way in this discourse has been one of hostility. Just 10 times alone in chapter 8, starting in verse 12 through the end of the chapter, Jesus has been attacked and assaulted by the religious leaders 10 times. 10 times. It's just one attack after another by the religious leaders who want him to shut up. They want to seize him. They want to take him and do him harm, but no one can take him because his time had not yet come. So no one is able to lay hands on him. But they have a desire to murder him, and they have had that desire throughout this discourse. But Jesus has spoken to the religious leaders nothing but the truth. And the truth has uh, 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 generated from them an intense hatred towards him that has escalated. Uh, The desire to do him harm, the desire to murder him, again, the desire to kill him. Uh, the truth is an affront because the truth is always an affront to fallen man. Because Satan is the father of lies. Uh, he's the one who hates the truth. And as I told you last time, there are only two kinds of people in the world. They're the children of, the, of God and the children of the devil. That's it. And I'm telling you what, that's it. However uh, men try to divide us up, there are only two classifications that God cares about. It's the children of God and the children of the devil. Those who have repented and placed their faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who have been saved and reconciled and been made part of the family of God and everybody else. That's it. Everybody else who has not repented, everybody else who has not bowed their knee to Christ is in the family of Satan himself. Satan is their father. Satan is their father. They do the deeds of the father. They speak lies just like their father does. They believe lies because there's no place for the truth in them. And that's very straightforwardly what Jesus has been telling the religious leaders who mistakenly thought that they were children of Abraham and who mistakenly thought that God in heaven was their father. But Jesus tells them very clearly the truth in chapter, uh, verse 44 here of chapter 8. Verse 44, you are of your father the devil. And the reason you can't understand what I'm saying, the reason you can't hear my word is because you are not of God, as he says in verse 47. So again, that's the truth. And that's the reality of what's going on here. The religious leaders of Israel think they're following God, and the reality is they're following Satan himself. The false religious leaders of Judaism, like uh, 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 they're leading this false or this apostate Judaism, they hate the truth because false religious leaders always hate the truth. These men, just like all false religious leaders, always fight against the truth. They they, uh, fight against the truth. They suppress it because they're part of the kingdom of darkness that hates the truth. I mean, just stop and think about persecution through this world, persecution around the world. Nobody's persecuting Islam. Nobody's persecuting the Roman Catholics. Nobody's persecuting the Mormons. Nobody's persecuting Jehovah's Witnesses 
or Hindus or Buddhists. Why? Because Satan is already the ruler over that realm, over the realm of these false religious systems. And Satan would not divide himself or fight against himself. The only kind of religious persecution that is going on in the world is always against biblical truth. It's always against those who follow Christ. Because it's always the kingdom of darkness that attacks the truth. And the truth is only found in God's word, the Bible. True truth, which I said has been completely rejected and is rejected in the day in which we live. So again, we're not surprised because the Bible tells us the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Therefore, the world is under the power of the authority of the, of the ruler of the world of darkness, uh, of the, uh, under the authority of the ruler of the world of darkness, who is Satan himself. The world has abandoned the truth, followed the ruler of darkness, the, the prince of lies, and has substituted lies everywhere. And fallen men would rather believe lies than the truth because the truth exposes them. They hate the truth because their deeds are evil and they love their sin. That's reality. And it's always the false, it's always the lies of the false religious systems that assault truth constantly. And that's what these false leaders, these religious leaders of Israel are doing. These self-righteous Jewish leaders are are part of a false or apostate form of Judaism that actually belongs to Satan. And again, like all other false religions under the realm of the kingdom of darkness, they are attacking the ultimate truth teller, that being the person of Jesus Christ. Now, again, they claim to represent God. They claim to be children of Abraham. But the Lord Jesus Christ says very clearly they represent the devil. They are his children. Again, look back up at verse 37. Jesus says, I know that you're Abraham's offspring. I know you've come from that lineage. But yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I've seen with my father, therefore you also do the things that you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if, Abraham were, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one Uh, Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come in my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. Does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He is of God, hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Now, these men hated Christ because they're part of the kingdom of darkness. They hated Christ because he spoke the truth to them. And the kingdom of darkness always tries to stamp out the truth. So again, the conflict here has escalated to a high point. Uh, Because what more volatile thing could you possibly say to a Jewish religious leader, a self-righteous individual who thinks very highly of themselves, who think that they are in uh, the kingdom because they are children of Abraham, who think that they are children of God, who think they are doing God's work and representing God. 
But then God incarnate, God in the flesh comes, and he tells them to their face the truth. You are of your father the devil. I speak the truth to you. You do not believe me, and the reason you don't hear me is you are not of God. That statement is going to generate a response from the kingdom of darkness, and of course it does. But all along I've been telling you in this study of John, all men everywhere only have two choices. We either believe the truth as it's revealed in the word of God, or we believe a lie. That's it. Life's pretty simple. Only two kinds of people in the world and only two sources of information, either the truth or a lie, a multitude of lies. We either believe the truth as revealed in the word of God or we believe a multitude of lies. Those are the only two options on the table. Now, I know that men come forward and they say, well, you know, I don't believe the Bible. Uh, I don't believe in Christ. Well, you know, ultimately that statement is irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the truth. Because men don't sit in the seat of the universe. Men don't sit in judgment over the word of God or over the persons of God in Christ. The truth is the truth, not fallen man's opinion. And again, man has only two options. You either humble yourselves and believe the word of the living God, or you make up your own reality, which is not the truth, and you believe the lies of Satan. That's it. Jesus says back in verse 31, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, verse 45, I speak the truth, and you do not believe me. Verse 46, If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Very simple. People hate the truth because they love their sin. They've been deceived by themselves. They've been deceived by Satan, their father, into believing they can create their own reality and reject reject the truth. We see it all the time in the world in which we live. People hate the truth because it exposes them. People hate the truth because it damns them, damns them eternally. It exposes them to the profound sinfulness of their own fallen hearts, which, in the irrationality of sin, causes them to reject God's grace, to reject God's gift of love through his son, the dear Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only provision, who is the only point, the only source of salvation to escape the consequences of sin, which is death, both physical and eternal. And through this study, we've spoken many times about the irrationality of unbelief in spite of the evidence to the contrary, that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. We talked about the hostility of unbelief. And you've met these kind of people. The unbeliever who puts forth their supposed great intellect for the reason why they don't believe. I know you're, you have a pea brain, but I have a, I have a much more advanced brain. I'm much more intelligent than you. Uh, and the reason I can't believe this Jesus nonsense is because my great intellect will not allow me uh, to, to believe this, this stuff. And <clears throat> that person with the supposed a great intellect as you sit and discourse discourse or discuss the truth with them when they can't win the argument because of the truth it causes that individual supposed great intellect to act irrationally hostile and there's hatred there's a hostility and a hatred always towards the one who brings them the truth and that's again exactly what you see in the text before us in this uh, in this uh, interaction the hostility towards Christ is going to go to the next level. 
Because out of love, he loved them enough to tell them the truth. But men love the darkness and they hate the truth. They reject the truth. They, re- they hate the light. Now, just to get a little bit of a running start, let's go back up to verse 42. I know I just read it, but I, I think we need to read it again just to help us get into the flow here. It'll help us uh, come to an understanding, a better understanding of the response that we see here in verse 48. Again, verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, listen, you would love me. And I've told you again through this series, it's always about Christ. Christ is always the issue. Listen, every religion in the world says they are serving whom? God. Every religion in the world says they're serving God. Every religion in the world, every religious individual, even if they don't associate with a particular religious system, all religious people say they believe in God. But the issue is always, what do you do with Christ? Because there are a lot of religious people in the world who don't even believe in Christ. But again, as I've told you from day one, the issue is always Christ. Because there's salvation, there's salvation found in no other name given under heaven by which a man might be saved except the person of Jesus Christ. There's salvation, no salvation apart from the person of Jesus Christ. And if you reject Jesus Christ, if you reject God's offer of mercy through the person of Jesus Christ, listen, then you damn yourself eternally. You damn yourself eternally. That's true truth. John 7, verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If any man, listen, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That is invitation. John 8 and 12. Jesus, again, therefore Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Again, that's invitation. John 8, 24. I said, therefore, to you that you shall die in your sin, for unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sin. That is a warning. Because the issue is always, what do you do with the person of Jesus Christ? Because your eternal destiny depends upon him. Your eternal destiny depends upon you believing the truth concerning him. John 3 and 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He does not believe, has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The entirety of the book of, uh, of uh, John, the, John's thesis for the entire book, John 20 and 31, these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Jesus Christ is always the issue. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come in my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Because you cannot hear my word. Verse 44 again, you're of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father because he was a murderer, or he was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of lies. I speak the truth to you, verse 45, but you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who, hear, he who is of God hears the word of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. It's just an absolutely scathing denunciation of their false confidence in their false religious system. They are not uh, children of God. Their father is the devil. 
They're not sons of Abraham. They're actually slaves of sin. They hate the truth, and they want to murder Christ because their father is the devil. So what do you do when you're confronted with the truth? What do you do when you're confronted with the truth and you reject the truth? What do you do when you're confronted with the truth and you know you can't win the argument? You get angry. You get angry. When you come to a position where you realize your position is indefensible and that you've lost the argument, but you still want to hold on to your error, you get angry. You get angry and you get loud, right? If you can't win the argument, yell louder, right? You get emotional. And you try to get your point across. You you turn towards verbal abuse. And eventually, if you continue to be pressed, your verbal abuse is going to turn into physical abuse. You're going to physically attack the person. And that's, again, exactly what you see here in the text. Because Jesus speaks the truth. These religious leaders don't want to hear the truth. They're going to eventually carry out their hatred for Christ, and they're going to murder him. Why are they going to murder him? Because his words are truthful. And these religious leaders live in the realm of darkness and lies. They can't stand up to the reality that is being proclaimed to them by the proclamation of truth by the person of truth who stands in their very presence. Therefore, they become angry and they verbally abuse the person of Christ. Verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, Do not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon. It's an absolutely blasphemous, slanderous accusation levied at Christ by his enemies. The one who stands before them is none other than the sinless one. God come in the flesh, the Son of God. These men don't stand to the truth because they're being exposed by the truth. Therefore, they blaspheme him. Again, this is one of the devil's favorite weapons. If when you cannot, uh, if you can't defeat the truth, then you assault or insult the truth teller with insulting epitaphs, violent language, slander. David in Psalm 120 verse 2 cried out, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Therefore, as believers in Christ, we should not be surprised when we find the haters of the truth lying against us or being slander, or bringing slanderous accusations against our character because we follow Christ. If they assaulted David, they assaulted Christ, and there was no uh, lie too monstrous or absurd to tell against Christ, why would we think any different uh, for us who happen to be following Christ? The Jews answered and said to them, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan? Now again, Jesus had just told them that they were not true children of Abraham, back up in verse 39, and then he just affirmed the fact that the devil was their father, verse 44. Therefore they reply intentionally, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan? In essence, what they're saying is that you're not a true Jew. You're a heathen. You might remember back in John 4 and 9, it says there that the, the, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, who are the Samaritans? You you can find uh, the story about them back in 2 Kings 17, but you remember the Samaritans were a group of of individuals that the Assyrian king had sent back into that area, uh, pagans, who uh, cohabitated with and mingled with some Jews who were left behind in 720 B.C., when Assyria captured uh, Samaria, and and most of the northern uh, inhabitants of the, most of the tribes are, most of the inhabitants of the ten northern kingdoms. So what you've got is you've got a pagan group of people who have been infused in that area with a few straggling Jews, and they intermingled. 
The Jews intermingled and formed this mixed race of people who were considered racial half-breeds by the Jewish people themselves. This uh, racially corrupt, intermingling group of people had really corrupted the worship of God, and that's what the Jews uh, found so offensive. They uh, interjected many unacceptable and wicked elements of paganism into their religious uh, uh, services. And and as a result of the mixing of these two cultures, created this syncretistic worship of the God of Israel, again, a false worship, uh, and uh, it was uh, infiltrated again or assimilated in with this worship of false pagan deities. So the Jews hated the Samaritans. And I don't mean they just hated them. I mean they hated them. They, the Jews saw the, the Samaritans as the traitors of the highest rank. The Samaritans, they offered to help to rebuild the temple after the exile, and the Jews refused the Samaritans out of Ezra 4. Therefore, that only increased the rivalry between the two groups. At the time of Christ's day, the animosity is so heated between these two groups that some Jews uh, refused to deal with Samaritans altogether. Others even actually took roundabout ways to make sure they never traveled through their territory. Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan is probably the lowest epitaph that you could throw at a Jewish person. To, to say that a Jewish person with a, a Samaritan is the worst pejorative you could throw that person's way. It means they're worse than a Gentile. They're, they're worse than any other pagan. They're the pagan of all pagans. Traitor to Israel. Traitor to God. And in effect, what they were doing is they were labeling Christ as a false teacher, right? Because the Samaritans worshipped. They just worshipped improperly. So they're, in essence, labeling Christ as a false teacher. You're a heathen idolater. Do we not rightly say? I mean, aren't we, we are correct in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon. Now, evidently, this was said numerous times. It said back in John 7, verse 20, the multitudes answered, you have a demon. It's going to be said again in chapter 10, verse 20. He has a demon and he's insane. Mark chapter 3, verse 22, the scribes who come down from Jerusalem we're saying of Jesus, he is possessed by Beelzebul, which is another name for Satan. And he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. It's the same blasphemous epitaph that the religious leaders had heard uh, hurled earlier at John the Baptist uh, back in Matthew 11, verse 18. And to say that somebody was demon-possessed is tantamount to saying that they were insane. Because obviously demon-possessed people act, uh, often act irrationally. And obviously blind to the truth, blind to the reality of who's standing in their presence, they falsely come to the conclusion that this man has a demon and a demon has driven to man. So in their response to Abraham is our father, Christ tells them, you are of your father the devil, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Again, the reason, verse 47, he who is of God hears the word of God, for this reason you do not hear because you're not of God. He just tells them the truth. And in response, again, they, they bring this blasphemous charge against him that he's a Samaritan, a false teacher, and that he's actually under the influence of the devil, that he's from Satan and not from God. Again, a, a pagan false teacher, which is utterly a blasphemous line. Can't win the argument. Increase the rhetoric. But look how Jesus responds to these malicious and blasphemous accusations. Do we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, 
but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Just very calmly, very directly, denies the blasphemous charge that's been laid against him. It's exactly what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and 28. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Again, once again, he, Jesus states the fact that his sole purpose was to honor the Father. I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Now, people who are demonically possessed don't honor God. But again, that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to honor God his Father. And honoring his Father is something, he, again, he's previously claimed to do. John eight twenty nine. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now, the action of these Jewish religious leaders is proving and demonstrating the fact that they are dishonoring the very God whom they claim to be their father. Christ, again, earlier said, John 5 and 23, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Again, verse 42 of chapter 8, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth from him and have come from God, for I have not even come in my own initiative, but he sent me. Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Again, the one who is controlled by the devil is a liar, and Christ has just told them the truth. So controlled by the devil, or people who are controlled by the devil, they always want to flatter other men. But Christ, who had humbled himself, taking on human nature, came for the express purpose of glorifying his father. He came only to honor his father. Unlike the wicked, false religious leaders who are standing before him, I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Verse 50. But I do not seek my glory. There's one who seeks and judges. I do not seek my glory. Again, Jesus has already said previously back in verse 41 of chapter 5, I do not receive my glory from men. Again, chapter 7, verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there's no unrighteousness in him. Christ, the true messenger of God, was not into this world to not in this world to seek his own glory, but the glory of the one who sent him. Paul describes it in Philippians 2. Now this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ, the most humble individual who's ever walked the planet. I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Meaning there is one who seeks and desires my glory. Not only that, he's going to judge the conduct of all those who dishonor me with a deep displeasure that will be punished in the last day. Now, if Christ wanted glory, he could have just stayed in heaven. But again, he didn't. He came to this world to humble himself. He came to this world in order to put on our flesh so he could die in our place. The eternal God again humbled himself in the ultimate fashion, putting on flesh. He who knew no sin becoming sin for us, the creator God, the author of life, dying in our place. That's nothing but abject humiliation. But once Christ carried out the task for which God the Father had sent him into the world, it says, being found in his appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 
uh, 9 of uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that to the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those are in heaven and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is the Christ, or Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2. There is one who seeks my glory. And he's going to make sure that Jesus Christ gets glorified, that Jesus Christ gets honored. Read it in the Old Testament. Read it in Psalm 2. God has promised to elevate his firstborn higher than any king of the earth. Psalm 2, why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising vain things? The king of the earth take their stand, the rulers take their counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 6 of that chapter. As for me, God says, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Verse 8, I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron and thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judge of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the sun, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath shall soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Jesus says, there's one who seeks my glory, one who desires my glory. And again, Jesus Christ is going to be glorified. But not only that, there's one who judges the conduct of all men who dishonor me. I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. One, again, who is eternally determined to glorify his son, the Father. And again, the Father is going to justly judge and bring condemnation upon all those who have not honored his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did we not read that in the book of the Revelation, which is true truth? Eternal truth. Hope to those who have hope in the person of Christ. A warning, a stark warning to all the rebels. Psalm 2, a stark warning to all the rebels. All the kings of the earth that gather together in all these different conferences around the world who think so very highly of themselves, who think that they're in charge and they're going to determine the outcome of all events, those who think that they can control the planet in the insanity of their fallen minds. All those people in charge that are trying to tell us that men can have babies and that women who think that they're, or men who think they're women are actually uh, women. Right? Did I say that right? <laughs> Today. Men who think they're women, right? We've got to bow the knee. Men who think they're women say, yes, they're, they're women. When the reality is, the truth is, they're men because that's the way God made them. Jesus Christ is going to come back and set things right. That's truth. And if anybody in charge of anything on this planet wanted to have any semblance of truth and any hope of order, they would start telling the truth. But men don't love the truth. They hate the truth. Because there's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who belong to God and those who don't. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. I'm telling you what, that is an utterly amazing verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. It is glorious hope, and it is another gracious invitation by Christ towards those in the presence of those who are blaspheming him and rebelling against him. Now, remember I told you, anytime you see the words truly, truly, or amen, amen, or verily, verily, in some of the older uh, translations, it's always something that is being said in front of. It's the introduction to a statement of major significance. So the words are used to try to get your attention. 
because they're words that are about to introduce a staggering truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, if anybody obeys my word, right? Just like Jesus has repeatedly said, uh, John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. So to keep Christ's words means that you receive Christ's words into your heart. It means you obey Christ's words. You, you obey, you, you embrace what Christ says. Now you take God's word and you hide it in your heart. And that word, God's word, is what governs your life on a daily basis. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word. If anyone if any man, again, note human responsibility is pressed in the promise, if anyone. If anyone keeps my logos, the word, my word, my doctrine, teaching, the entirety of what Christ has come to teach, the entirety of the gospel. If any man receives, keeps, believes, takes into your heart, is governed by on, on a daily basis. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Again, I'm telling you. It is a wonderful and gracious invitation to the ears of the hard-hearted blasphemers that are standing in front of him. To those abusive individuals that are standing before him, rejecting the truth and wanting to seek his death. It is a gracious invitation to these hypocritical, false religious leaders. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death, and it is a gracious invitation and a promise of life to all men across the board. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Anyone who wants eternal life can come and have it. It's full and free. That's what he's saying, if anyone. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. The word see there, thereo, that means to look at with a gaze, to fix upon as an experience. One writer says this, it doesn't mean that you won't glance as it goes by, but what he's saying is you won't be caught up in it as an experience. That's tremendous. You will not be caught up in death as an experience, a finality. One uh, paraphrase says, I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Now, so what is he talking about here? He's obviously not talking about physical death because Jesus Christ himself even faced physical death. He's talking about what I read out of the book, The Revelation, the second death. Oh, there's a second death. Yeah, there's a second death. I didn't know that. Well, I'm telling you that. That's why the Bible tells you about that, to warn you. To not be a part of the second death. Spiritual death. Eternal death. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So what does that mean? J.C. Rowell says this. The expression, never see death, cannot be taken literally. Our Lord did not mean that his disciples would not die and be buried like other children about them. We know that they died. The meaning is probably threefold. First, he shall be completely delivered from spiritual death of condemnation under which all mankind are born. His soul is alive and can die no more. Secondly, he shall be delivered from the sting of bodily death. His flesh and bones may sink under the disease it may sink under disease and be laid in the grave, but the worst part of death shall not be able to touch him, and the grave itself shall give him up one day. Amen? Thirdly, he shall be delivered entirely from the second death, even eternal punishment in hell. Over him, the second death will have no power, because all those who have faith in Christ Jesus have moved from the realm of condemnation to 
no condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is wonderful truth. This is a gracious invitation. Augustine adds, he says, the death from which our Lord came to deliver us was the second death, eternal death, death in hell. Death of damnation with the devil and his angels, that is indeed death by which the unsaved man shall be cast headlong at. This is the death which the Lord says, he who keeps my word shall never see death. Physical death may come, but eternal condemnation has no part of the man who's in Christ Jesus. It's exactly what Jesus said back to to Nicodemus back in chapter 3. Jesus speaking speaking of himself uh, in John chapter 3. He, verse 15, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Christ, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God has sent Christ into the world because he desires for the men to have life. Do you want eternal life? Do you want to pass out of the realm of condemnation then believe upon Christ? If you're happy with death, if you're happy with the condemnation that God will most justly bring, then don't do anything. And then when that day of judgment comes, don't say that I was never told, because you were. If you want life, take it. It's free. If you want to avoid condemnation, it's free. If you want to be saved from the second death, come to the person of Jesus Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anybody keeps my word, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. John 3 and 17 says, God did not send the Son of the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in him has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Listen, your only hope is Christ. Your only hope is Christ. Apart from Christ... You stand already condemned, guilty, judged, because you've not believed upon Christ. And all that is awaiting for you is the execution of the sentence to be eternally carried out. Back in John 5 and 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death unto life. John 6 and 50, Jesus speaking of himself. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. In in comforting Martha after the death of her brother Lazarus, Jesus in John 11 verse 25 says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe in this? Do you believe this? That's hope. Again, you want hope, you want eternal life, you want to move out of the realm of condemnation, you want to not face the second death, then it's free. Come and get it. If you want freedom from the fear of death, which all unbelievers feel at great weight or in great weight, you can see that going on around us ever since this COVID thing broke out. Because all men deep down inside... No, even if they haven't read in the text of Scripture, there's a point or a day of judgment. Do you want freedom from death? The fear of death is free. Come take it. It's all available in Christ and only in Christ. It's the truth, the gospel, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that delivers men free, delivers men from the fear of death and judgment, because the truth shall set you free. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Again, remember I told you all through this study also, it's always been the word of Christ. It's always about the word of Christ. It's always about the person of Christ. It's always about what he says. A nice, benign Jesus that's on a coloring pages or a flannel graph or something that we don't have to hear him, uh, the world will take that kind of a Jesus. The Jesus they can con- conjure up in their own mind. But when you start speaking true truth, you start speaking the truth out of the word of God, out of the mouth of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, people get upset with that Jesus because he's not nice. I want, my, I want my Jesus to tell me things that make me feel good. Jesus is only about the truth. And if you believe the truth, the truth will actually make you feel good because the truth will set you free. It's always the words of Christ. The truth sets men free from error. The truth sets men free from death and the bondage to Satan and his lies. Because again, there's no hope for you apart from Christ, and that's truth. And I beg you, listen to the words of the Savior. Listen to the one whom God the Father sent into this world out of his tremendous love for this fallen, rebellious world of rebels like us. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anybody keeps my word, he shall never see death. Come to life. And then heed the warning. I say, therefore, to you, you shall die in your sin. Unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sin. You better heed the warning. Christ offers glorious hope, gracious invitation, and opportunities upon opportunities while you have breath to escape eternal judgment. Well, I'm sure at this point the religious leaders are jumping up and down, signing a pledge card, walking to the front, willing to get saved, right? Well, it's not actually what it says. Verse 52. The response of the spiritually dead religious leaders. Verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Boy, talk about thick. Talk about thick-headed. That's these guys, right? They cannot. They will not listen to the truth. The word makes no progress in them. And listen, once you reject the truth, you believe a lie. Right? When you reject the truth, all that is left for you is lies. It's another reason the world is so crazy. Depraved minds rejecting the truth, all they can believe, all they can listen to is the lies of Satan. And they're everywhere in this culture. And again, the unbeliever is unable and willing to understand the truth. Because their hearts are hard. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Uh, Again, that's another way to say we know you're out of your mind. You're crazy. But the truth is, these guys, they are the insane ones. Because they continue to turn their back on the truth. Because they continue to reject God's mercy through Christ. Just like all unbelievers. Again, it's the irrationality of unbelief. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died. The prophets died. And you say, if anybody keeps my word, they shall never taste death. Verse 53, surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Now, most certainly the tone has to be somewhere along the lines of who in the world do you think you are? It's obviously with an abusive tone. Who in the world do you think you are? 
Well, look, he's already told them repeatedly the truth of who he is. Numerous times, but they don't care. They're not interested. They don't listen. Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. Again, Jesus wasn't interested in glorifying himself. He wasn't interested in seeking his own glory. He only wanted to glorify the Father, the one who sent him. Again, something that a man possessed of the devil would not do. Something that only one who is eternal deity would want to do, that would be to honor his Father. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. And again, that's what the Father did throughout his entire life. Excuse me, A.W. Pink says this, To honor is to do or speak that of a person which shall not only manifest our esteem for him, but shall lead others to esteem him also. The father's esteem for his son is evidenced by his love and admiration for him, as well as his desire to make him loved and admired of others. God honored him at his birth by sending an angel or sending angels to herald him as the Christ the Lord. He honored him during the days of his infancy by directing wise men from the east to come and worship the young king. He honored him at his baptism by proclaiming him as his beloved son. He honored him in his death by not suffering his body to see corruption. He honored him at the ascension when he exalted him to his own right hand. He will honor him in the final judgment when every knee shall be made to bow before him and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And throughout all of eternity, he shall be honored by a redeemed people who shall esteem him the fairest among 10,000 to their souls. Infinitely worthy is the lamb to receive honor and glory. Pink goes on and he says, let then the writer and the reader see to it that on our daily lives, in our daily lives, we honor him who is so rightly honored to save us and to call us his brethren. Amen. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. My Father glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Again, it's pretty preposterous uh, for them to say that God is their Father. This God who they reject, who glorifies Christ, it's pretty preposterous for them to say that he is their Father, he is their God, because all they want to do is blaspheme his son. So blind to the truth, so blind to the reality. They think they are representing the interests of God, when in reality they're representing the interests of the devil himself. But again, that's what everybody does who's caught up in false religious systems. That's what everybody does who rejects the truth. Followers of Islam, no doubt, are sincere, but sincerely in error. They have no proper understanding of who God is because their understanding of God doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from false teaching and ultimately comes from the father of lies. They don't know God. They don't know the truth. They reject the person of Jesus Christ outright. That's, again, the way it is people who are in false religious systems. And these men who are standing before Jesus thought God was their God. The father was their father and their God. And the reality is they're delusional truth is they're they're in league with the devil himself and again the one thing that religious people no matter what flavor you find them in or whatever name they like to put on themselves 
the one thing that religious people need to be reminded of is the truth that you don't worship the true God if you reject his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is always the issue. You don't, you don't really know or worship the true God if you reject Christ because Jesus Christ is always the issue. 1 John 2 and 22. Here it is. 1 John 2 and 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Religious people need to be reminded of the truth that Jesus Christ is the issue, and you don't really know, worship, or serve God, the true God, unless you worship and serve and love his Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. My, it's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say is our God, verse 55, and you have not come to know him. I mean, again, despite their profession that they are his children, you have not come to know him, but I know him. If I say that I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Again, very straightforwardly, Jesus is telling these religious leaders the truth. These who claim to be serving and following God, he says, listen, wake up, listen, you are liars. You are liars. You're liars and you're propagating lies and you're teaching lies and you're promoting lies. He says of them in Matthew 23, verse 15, they are creating more sons of hell just like them by their lies. Again, they may claim that God is their father, but they are plainly ignorant of his character, his will, his purpose. Professing to know him, they deny him by their works. They have no idea who he is, they have no idea who his son is, and they're doing the works of their father, the devil. You have not come to know him, but I know him. If I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Uh, again, he just keeps contrasting these false religious leaders. Right? He, Christ knows the Father perfectly from heaven. Right? In contrast to them, he knows the Father perfectly from heaven. He was with him from all eternity. He's come forth from him. He's come and speaking his words. He's done his works. Christ perfectly performs all that the Father sent him to do. And again, note the strong language that, that Christ uses against these damnable teachers. You are liars. Again, in contrast to the many today that are telling us that the ministers and preachers should never use any other language that except which is gentle and tame and mild so that we can make sure that we are above all things nice because in our modern evangelism or modern evangelicalism nice is more important than truth but I might remind you again by way of what the person of the Lord Jesus Christ said it's only the truth that sets men free it's only the truth Verse 56, and again, amazingly, in the context of this bold, direct confrontation of the Lord towards these false religious leaders, here comes, listen, yet another gracious invitation by Christ. Your father Abraham. So in essence, you're saying, look, I'll concede the point. You are descendants, physical descendants from Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. 
Now, Pink says, A.W. Pink says, more literally in the Greek, it reads, Abraham, your father, was transported with exultant desire to see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. He says, look, the Greek is much more uh, uh, emphatic, much more impressive or expressive than the English translation. So again, he intimates that Abraham looked forward with joy, great joy, to meet the object of his desire, and he exulted in the signs of it, or in the sight of it. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Again, in essence, it's again a gracious invitation by Christ. He's saying, wouldn't you want to trade your bitterness for joy right now? Wouldn't you want to trade your bitterness for joy? Wouldn't you want to joy, join in with Abraham and his joy? Because Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. Wouldn't you want to trade bitterness for joy? So what does it mean where it says Abraham rejoiced to see my day? Well, again, you might remember that Abraham was given messianic promises back in Genesis 12.2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God was telling him that through him, through his offspring, through his family, he would come and bring a blessing to the world. He'd bring salvation that blesses the entire world. The Abrahamic Covenant, chapter 12 of Genesis, again highlighted in chapter 15, chapter 17. And the text of Scripture says that Abraham listened to God and he believed what God said and God counted it to him as righteousness. The only problem with this promise of a coming blessing is Abraham didn't have a child. Abraham said, well, maybe I'll, I'll help God out. I'll bring a servant in. Maybe not. God says, no, I'll, I'll take care of it for you. Well, maybe I'll do another plan. I'll go with a handmaiden. God says, no, I'll handle it for you. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. And God gave him a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac was the first in line looking towards Messiah's day. And the writer Paul in the book of Galatians says that promised coming seed... Uh, in that text it says not seeds plural but seeds singular he was looking for one he looked forward in confident anticipation of one who would come and bruise the serpent's head as it says in genesis chapter three so abraham believed god abraham believed god's promises he believed that god would send the redeemer through him the only savior of the world and that promise began to be fulfilled at the birth of his son isaac and then continued through jacob and then on from there all the way down to the redeemer the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when, G- when Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, again, he saw that reality in his son, Isaac, as the beginning of the fulfillment of this covenant promise with him, which again would culminate in the coming of the Messiah. And once again, Jesus is contrasting Abraham's behavior and Abraham's belief and joy in the word of God with his opponent's behavior here who have rejected the truth. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Wouldn't you want to join into the joy? Well, the reality is because Abraham's not really their father. The religious Jews want to murder the one whom Abraham rejoiced in. The religious Jews want to murder the one whom Abraham looked forward to. Again, it's another gracious invitation by Christ in the face of active hostile opposition. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And again, wouldn't you want to trade your bitterness for joy and join in with Abraham's joy? The one who looked forward to the very one who's standing literally in your presence. But of course, the hard-heartedness of these 
religious leaders cause them to persist in rejecting the truth. And they respond to him with sarcasm, verse 57. The Jews therefore said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. So instead of listening to him, instead of responding to the offer, they mock him. Thoroughly blind, completely incompetent to understand what Christ is saying. Now, if you look carefully at the text, Jesus didn't say that he'd seen Abraham. Abraham, of course, lived about most 2,000 years earlier than Jesus, so they are intentionally twisting and perverting his words. Jesus actually said that Abraham rejoiced to see his day. Abraham looked forward with faith or by faith to the promises of God, again being fulfilled through his line, the coming of the Messiah, who would have complete victory over Satan, and then the one who would come and restore all things. The reference to 50 years of age has nothing to do with Jesus' age. Jesus is probably somewhere about 33 years of old, uh, 33 years old at this time. 50 years of age is just a way in the culture to refer to a middle-aged man. The Jews therefore said to him, you're not even a middle-aged man, and you've seen Abraham? Verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, 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 I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Again, those words. Truly, truly, listen, something spectacular, great truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. The tetragrammaton, the Yahweh, right out of Exodus 3 and 14, is nothing less than a claim to deity. Nothing less than a claim to be the eternal God who not only existed prior to Abraham, but he's timeless. Again, the very nature of God himself. It's exactly how John opens his book. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Now, the Jewish religious leaders understood very clearly what Jesus was saying, what he claimed. And in response, their hatred is inflamed to violence. Verse 59. Therefore... They picked up stones to throw at him. Because they can't stand to hear the truth from one who's far greater than Abraham. They can't stand to hear the truth from one who's God of very God. Again, the, their unbelief, unbelief in their heart is so powerful in direct face, in the direct face of irrefutable evidence that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not only do they blaspheme him, slander him, their hatred towards him, their anger is inflamed to the point they want to murder him. And again, it's the irrationality of unbelief. All the evidence contrary to reality. The evidence is out there and it's plentiful that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Again, the unbeliever puts forth his great intellect for the reason why they don't believe and ultimately when they're confronted with the truth and the truth keeps presenting them, they can't win the argument causes that person to respond in irrational hostility and hatred towards the one who brings them the truth. You know, if the truth, if they don't believe all this stuff about Jesus, why do they get so angry with Jesus? If it's just all a fairy tale for people with low intellects like you to believe, why do people get so upset when you confront them with the truth? I'll tell you why. Because they know the truth. And they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And you're an irritant. I'm an irritant. I understand that. To the glory of God, amen? 
Speak the truth. Truth sets people free. They get irritated with him. They're, they're angry with him. You seek to kill me. My word has no place in you. A man who's told you the truth. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Because you can't hear my word. You're your father the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand on the truth because there's no truth in him. But I speak the truth. You do not believe me because you're not of God. Therefore, verse 59, again, they pick up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why? It's not time for him to die. Jesus is actually in charge of all these events. It's not time for him to die. That day's coming, about six months down the road. He'll set the appointed time. So I personally think John, very underwhelmingly, in his account, tells us how supernaturally and miraculously Jesus escapes their attempt to murder him. Jesus just hid himself, went out of the temple. All those people standing in opposition to the one. And again, throughout the entire discourse there at the temple, Christ has repeatedly and graciously offered these men hope. Repeatedly, graciously offered them a way to escape the condemnation that awaits those who reject Christ. Warned them over and over again, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. And in response to the truth, they just want to murder him. They want to take stones and crush the life out of him. They want to murder him. Again, I've told you again, all, all through the series in John 8, it's always the words of Christ, it's always the person of Christ. Everybody has to make a decision of what you're going to do with the person of Jesus Christ. Everybody's going to have to make a decision. Again, you're going to either humbly bow your knee before him and come in repentant faith, confessing him as Lord and Savior, believing everything he says to be true, or you will die in your sin. It is that simple. And one day it will be too late. One day it will be too late because the day of salvation is growing shorter. The day of God's mercy is going to come to an end unless you repent and believe the truth concerning the person of Jesus Christ. Unless you believe that truth, you shall die in your sin. Remember back in John chapter 3? I read it at least once and maybe twice. I can't remember. John 3 and 17. For God did not send the the Son into the world to judge or condemn the world, for that the world should be saved through him. Remember that? Take, take your Bible and just look over to John 9, 39. John 9, 39. Jesus says, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see that those who do not see may see, that those who see may become blind. It's really interesting, I think. The one who said initially he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to seek and save the lost, now he says, for judgment I came into the world. Because those who continue to reject the truth, those who continue to believe the lies and reject Christ, one day God, through Christ, will mete out judgment. I read that in the book, The Revelation. One day, God's gracious invitation is going to be removed and judgment is going to be meted out. But today is still the day of grace. So the call again is to repent. Turn from your sin. Humble yourself. Call out to God for mercy through the person of Jesus Christ. Believe and be saved. And you'll never see the second death.
reject God's offer of mercy and forgiveness and nothing awaits you except a terrifying expectation of judgment.